0: Have you ever wondered why a certain house in your neighborhood has stood abandoned for years or even decades? Or maybe you've heard about a terrible murder in your town, but you've never known exactly where it happened. and welcome to Morbid Tourism, the podcast. On this podcast, I'm going to talk about the true crime cases that may have happened closer to home than you thought. Warning, this episode contains descriptions of extreme violence and crimes against a child. This podcast is not recommended for young listeners, and listener discretion is advised. When someone goes missing, we generally think that investigators have about 48 hours to find them alive. After those 48 hours are up, the likelihood of finding that person alive is close to zero. Still, if there's a missing person, the friends and the family will usually hold out hope that their loved one will be found alive. As the hours turn into days that turn into weeks and months, it's only natural for that hope to start to turn into acceptance that this loved one is gone and may never be found. But sometimes, in very rare cases, that hope is rewarded with the safe return of the loved one. In 2018, Jake Patterson was 21 years old and his life wasn't really going anywhere. He was kind of a shy loner. He had a few friends, but he never really had a girlfriend. He lived alone in a really messy, almost like derelict cabin. And it was owned by his father in a very rural neighborhood in Wisconsin. Now, when I say very rural, it wasn't like there wasn't another house for miles around. It was still a bit of a neighborhood, but each home probably sat on several acres. For about two years, Jake Patterson had been fantasizing. His fantasy was about abducting a preteen girl and keeping her as a sort of slave for himself. By 2018, he had begun to turn his fantasy into a reality in his head. He started to really consider how he would actually go about abducting a girl, how he would keep her and make sure that no one found her. In his spare time, he worked out the details of how he would keep the girl a secret from his family when they came over to the cabin, and how he would make sure that she wouldn't be able to escape. Still, it remained nothing more than a fantasy until September of 2018. While driving home from work, he happened to see 13-year-old Jamie Kloss boarding a school bus in front of her home. As soon as he saw her, he knew that she was the girl he wanted to abduct to fulfill his fantasy. Jamie Kloss was born on July 13, 2005, to Denise and James Kloss. Jamie was an only child, and growing up, she was quiet and shy, but really sweet She had lots of friends, she did well in school, you know, made her parents really proud. She also loved her dog, Molly, and by 2018, Jamie was transforming from a shy child into a confident teenager. In October of 2018, Jake felt ready to pull the metaphorical trigger and abduct Jamie. Because he had prepared for so long, and because he was at least somewhat forensically savvy, he decided to shave off all of his hair so that he wouldn't leave any hair and therefore DNA at the Kloss family home that could link him to the crime. He also didn't Google anything about the Kloss family before the crime took place, and he memorized the route from his cabin to, to the house so that he wouldn't have to bring his phone with him. He decided that he would sneak into the Kloss family home after everyone was asleep, abduct Jamie, put her in the trunk of his car, and then drive away completely undetected. So on the night of October 5th, Jake Patterson got into his red car and started the 77-mile drive from his cabin in Gordon to the Kloss family home in Barron. He left his phone at home so that he couldn't be tracked and he, and so that his cell phone wouldn't be pinging near any of the towers on the way or near the Kloss family home in case police decided to investigate that. When he arrived at the Kloss family home, he was surprised to find that Molly, the family dog, barked when a car drove up the driveway, and it seemed like people were still awake in the house. So he waited for a short time, but then he abandoned his plan, and he drove back home. He was afraid that if he tried to abduct Jamie that night, he would be seen, and he didn't want to have any witnesses to the kidnapping. He had planned all of this out. He wasn't going to leave DNA. There was no way he was going to risk having a witness. So two days later, on October 7th, he tried for a second time. Again, he ensured that his body was clean-shaven, and he left his phone at his cabin, But once again, once he got to the Kloss family home, he was too afraid by the barking dog and the movement inside the house to carry out his plans, so for a second time, he drove home. I wish that I could say that the story ended there, with Jake giving up and forfeiting his plan completely. Unfortunately, Jake was too committed to his plan at this point and continued to try to see it through. So, for a third time, on the night of October 15th, 2018, Jake drove to the Kloss family home. But in a way, this time was different for him. This time, Jake brought his father's shotgun with him to the Kloss family home. Fully prepared to carry out his plan, Jake put on gloves and a ski mask to make it even more unlikely that he would be able to be identified. Just after midnight, Jake walked up to the front door of the home and attempted to open it, but found it locked. Inside the home, Molly, the dog, was barking and going crazy. She knew that there was someone at the front door. She was not having any of it, and she basically woke up the whole family. Jamie actually got out of bed and went into her parents' room to tell them that something was wrong. It was at that point, that Jake Patterson forced the door open to find Jamie's father, James, standing on the other side. Jamie's mother, Denise, took Jamie into the bathroom of the home with her, and she locked the door. Jamie's father, James, had gone to the front door to investigate what Molly was barking at, but as soon as Jake was able to open the front door, Jake fired the shotgun and hit James in the chest, knocking him to the floor and killing him. Jake then stepped over James' body and checked the rooms. He was searching for Jamie. Once he got to the bathroom door and found it locked, he knew that she was inside. Just on the other side of the door, Denise was hiding in the bathtub with Jamie, and she used her cell phone to call 911. Because Denise and Jamie were trying to stay quiet in hopes that Jake, who at that point was just an unknown intruder to them, basically hoping that he would just go away. The cell phone connected to a 911 dispatcher, but the dispatcher was unable to understand what was going on. Jake had come this far, and he would not leave now. He tried to break the bathroom door down, finally using the shotgun to shoot it open. Once he got in, a struggle ensued, and the call from Denise's phone to 911 was disconnected. When the dispatcher called back, the phone had already been turned off and went straight to voicemail. Inside of the bathroom, Jake forced Denise to put duct tape over her daughter Jamie's mouth. And then he shot Denise right in front of Jamie. After shooting Denise, he put duct tape around Jamie's wrists and ankles, picked her up, and put her in the trunk of his car. He quickly drove away, passing police cars with their sirens blaring who were on their way to the Kloss home in response to that 911 call, but none of the police cars seemed to even notice Jake. He drove over an hour all the way back to his cabin without being stopped once. Within four minutes of Denise's 911 call, police had arrived at the Kloss home and they found the bodies of James and Denise Kloss. Immediately, the search for Jamie began. Investigators attempted to find anyone who might have had a problem with the Kloss family or anyone who would want to abduct Jamie. They checked the family's internet and social media use and they found that really they were a very normal family. They didn't have very many enemies. They were well-liked. It wasn't anything that stood out to them as someone who would want to hurt them. Then they thought maybe Jamie had been talking to someone online and she had maybe formed a relationship and that's how this person came and took her. But they looked into it and Jamie didn't seem to be talking to anyone online that could have done something like this. Also, none of her friends or family knew of any boyfriends who she would want to run away with. She loved her family and no one had any idea where she might have gone. Investigators realized early on that this was not going to be an easy case to solve. This case hit national news quickly, and it wasn't long before people from coast to coast were on the lookout for Jamie. Thousands upon thousands of leads poured in within just the first few days. There was a glimmer of hope when someone claimed that they saw her with an older man in Florida, but when the lead was investigated, it wasn't Jamie. Although the Kloss home remained a crime scene, investigators weren't there 24 hours to supervise it. And just a few weeks after the murders, in the early hours of October 27th, the home was burglarized. Luckily, investigators had set up surveillance on the property, and when they saw a man enter the home, officers immediately went there and apprehended 32-year-old Kyle T. Yankee Anis. And I could be saying that last name wrong. Investigators were hopeful that Yankee Anas had something to do with Jamie's disappearance and that he could lead them to her, but he denied being involved at all and he actually had alibis that corroborated his story. Satisfied that he had nothing to do with the murders or the abduction, they charged Yankee Anas with burglary for which he received two years of probation. Again, investigators were at a loss as to where Jamie was and who had killed her parents. Thanksgiving came and went, as did Christmas and New Year's, and still, Jamie was nowhere to be found. Jamie's aunt, Jennifer Smith, made numerous TV appearances in hopes of keeping the public's attention on the case— she and other members of Jamie's family had not given up hope that Jamie would be found and their faith would be rewarded. On January 10th, 88 days after the murder of James and Denise Kloss, a woman named Jean Nutter was out walking her dog around a rural neighborhood in Barron, Wisconsin. Although it was near freezing outside and there was snow covering the ground, Jean came across a teenage girl wearing only a pair of leggings, a light shirt, and tennis shoes that were obviously too big for her. The girl approached Jean, and Jean immediately recognized her from the numerous news reports. It was Jamie Kloss. Jean immediately took Jamie to a nearby neighbor's house to warm up and for safety. Jean's house was kind of further away, and since Jamie was in light clothes and possibly in danger, she didn't want Jamie to come all the way back to her house just in case her abductor came back. The neighbors brought Jamie into their home and also immediately recognized her as the missing girl. Right away, they called 911 and told them that they had found Jamie. The neighborhood was, like I said, in a very rural area. There's not really much around it, so it took a while for the police to get to the neighbor's house. Uh, While waiting, the neighbors brought Jamie into the basement of their house, which had been kind of converted into like a playroom for their children. They gave her blankets to warm up and made sure that no one that would hurt her would be able to get to her. They said she just kept repeating, I'm Jamie, I'm Jamie. Jamie was able to tell investigators that Jake Patterson was the one who killed her parents and that he had kept her prisoner just a few doors away from where she was now. She was also able to give them a description of Jake's car, and investigators immediately put a call out to all officers in the area to be on a lookout for a red sedan. Police then took Jamie to the hospital to make sure that she was okay and to help her start her recovery. Just a few minutes after they left with Jamie, Patterson's car was pulled over when it drove by the cabin. Patterson made no effort whatsoever to flee or fight, and he simply said, I did it, to the deputy who pulled him over. He was immediately taken into custody and charged with multiple crimes, including murder and kidnapping. Police questioned Jake Patterson, and they gained a lot of information from Jamie also. Jake admitted that he had never had any contact with Jamie or anyone else in her family before the attack, but that when he had seen her at the bus stop, he knew that that was the girl that he wanted to abduct. It was a truly random crime. After Jake had killed James and Denise Kloss, he then placed the bound and terrified Jamie in the trunk of his car and drove all the way back to his cabin with her there. Jamie remained bound with duct tape in the trunk for the entire drive, about an hour and a half. As they were driving away from her house, she heard the police sirens passing them. And I can't even imagine the kind of heartbreak that she could feel hearing those sirens and having hope that, okay, help is here, police are here, and then hearing them fade away in the distance, going the opposite direction. When they arrived at the cabin, Jake made Jamie get under his bed and placed belongings all around the bed so that she couldn't get out. Then he simply went to sleep. For the next few weeks, he kept Jamie inside the cabin. He believed that after seeing him kill both of her parents, Jamie was way too scared of him to even attempt escape. He never really bound her or or chained her up or anything like that inside the home, but he would keep the doors locked. He basically allowed her to walk freely around the house and after he checked outside for neighbors, every once in a while, he actually would allow her to walk outside. On several occasions, Jake's family came to the cabin to visit and check on the cabin. When that happened, he would force Jamie under his bed and place his belongings all around the outside of it, so that she couldn't get out. If people were going to be in the house for an extended period of time, he would have her wear adult diapers so that he didn't have to worry about letting her out for bathroom breaks. The same thing would happen if he had to leave for any amount of time. Normally at night, he would have the 13-year-old girl sleep next to him in his bed. On Christmas morning, a day that is supposed to be filled with nothing but happiness and joy, Jake Patterson forced Jamie under the bed and told her that if she made any noise, he would kill her. Can you imagine waking up on Christmas morning and being told that if you make any noise, you would be killed? Jake then had four guests over, family members of his, for a Christmas party. He was able to laugh and chat with his family, having zero remorse or concern for the captive 13-year-old girl that was terrified hiding under his bed. Finally, Jamie had had enough. On the morning of January 10th, the day of her escape, Patterson told Jamie that he had to run some errands and he'd be gone for several hours. As usual, he had her get under the bed and placed his belongings around it, attempting to block her in. But once he was gone, she was able to push the boxes out of the way. She had no shoes of her own at that point, so she put on a pair of Patterson's shoes and left the home. Once she was outside, it wasn't long before she saw Jean Nutter walking her dog and asked her for help. She would never have to see Jake Patterson or his awful cabin, ever again. After his arrest, Patterson pled guilty in court to two counts of first-degree murder and one count of kidnapping. He received the maximum penalty of two consecutive life sentences, plus 40 years. Although there were additional crimes committed against Jamie during her time in captivity, it was decided by her her family, and prosecutors not to pursue convictions for those crimes in order to spare Jamie from having the details brought up in court, which would then make them public. Instead, they decided that it was justice enough that Patterson would spend the rest of his life being stuck in a cell. Jamie went on to live with her aunt, who had never lost hope that Jamie would be returned. She was reunited with her beloved dog, Molly, the one who had first warned the family about Jake Patterson approaching their home. Jamie was a hero in her own case. She persevered through things that the vast majority of us can never even imagine. She was brave enough to break out of the cabin and find help, and I I can't even imagine the fear that she felt knowing that Jake could return at any second and find her, and hurt her, and possibly even kill her. But she pushed through all of that, and she became more brave than I could ever be. Thank you for listening to this episode of Morbid Tourism about Jake Patterson's Cabin. If you like learning about morbid locations, subscribe to Morbid Tourism on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, and leave a rating or review, let us know what you think. New episodes will be released weekly. And between episodes, you can visit www.morbidtourism.com to learn about more morbid locations. We currently have over 120 locations. Follow us on Instagram at morbidtourism. This podcast is researched, hosted, produced, and edited by me, Jules Kruger. Additional research by Amanda Poikert. Sources for this episode include Wikipedia, the New York Post, and Insider.com.